This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Weissner. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. Delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Ruger, Rugged, Reliable Firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Callingest Calls Made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Taurus maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Weissen. Before beginning this week's episode, I want to thank everybody who took the time to leave a comment at Larry Weissen Outdoors on our Instagram page, and those of you who didn't have Instagram who left it on the Facebook page, Larry Weissen Outdoors. Thank you so very, very much for those comments. I have to tell you that the winner of the knife from the pot of many names that was drawn. The gentleman's name is Mr. Tad Tweedy, who resides in Kansas. Tad, I hope you really enjoy the knife, and it's already on the way through the mail to get to you. So thank you so much for entering. Thank you all for entering, and uh, who knows, we may be having another one of these giveaways here in the next few months or so. David Fox, thank you for that absolutely fantastic opener for us, and I'm on the FTW Ranch. We're here for the new hunter program. If you want to learn more about it we'll tell you how to find out about it a little bit later but right now we're headed toward hunting seasons there's going to be food on the table before long everything from birds to uh, i guess a few fish along the way as well too but mm-hmm. particularly maybe all types of venison and this morning i've got somebody that's turned out to be a very dear friend and has nothing to do with the fact that he's one of the best wild game chefs <laughs> in the world but i do like to eat and, and this guy is uh I've eaten a lot of chef's food across the country and across the world on a wild game, and this guy does a more fantastic job than anybody else. 
and I'm talking about the guy who owns Gastronomy, mm -hmm. and his name happens to be Joshua Schwenka. Close go. enough. You hopefully. got it. You got it close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Josh, thank you for being with us. This oh, morning. of course. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for all those kind words. That was great. Well, it's it's true. I've had the opportunity to eat a lot of different foods across the world, and and from the cooking that's come out of your kitchen here yeah. at FTW is absolutely fantastic. Well, I appreciate. Let's talk it. a little bit about wild game. Sure. In a general term, now, one of the fantastic things that I've enjoyed about visiting with you mm -hmm. is that. Not only do you know how to cook, you mm -hmm. know how to clean an animal, you know how to take an animal apart to get it to the point to where you really want to get ready for the cooking aspects of it, mm -hmm. but also you're kind of an anthropologist when it comes to, uh, and that's not, we're not talking about insects here. No, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, so so really where I kind of focus um, my direction of, of the way that I teach and, and the way that we've really built this entire business has been off of the fact that there is a connection to our food that's been lost and it's in every generation that goes by we lose more and more of that and uh we like having a good time right when we're here we have a great time. we have an absolutely great time yeah yes. we really do and and everything from the hunting packages to the the new hunting experiences that we offer out here it really is centered on the point of we need to have a better understanding of where our food comes from what it means to be the responsible head of our food chain and to also pair that with, you know what, we need to start cooking again. And we've, we've actually lost the, uh, the knowledge of cooking. And uh, study after study show that there are so many families now that just don't cook anymore. They go out to eat every single meal. Really? And so the history, the anthropology part of what we do really does focus on the fact that we need to have that, uh, we need to have that knowledge of our ancestors back. And we have all the tools and the tricks. We can Google anything we want. <laughs> Even my last name, if you needed to. <laughs> and we could come across we could come across any recipe for any application for anything. But we've lost the knowledge on how to become sustainable ourselves. And through that, it's uh, it's it's sad. So I'm here to fix that. I'm here to fix that with people like yourself, like uh, with with Tim Fallon with. So many others out there who are just, um, they're, they're wanting to see a change, but they're wanting to see it, a change in the right direction to where we are responsible with our food system. We are actually doing the, we're doing right by the animals that we're harvesting and everything else. So, thank you. <laughs> The thank you is Mr. Uh, Fowler just walked in with... Uh, brought me my breakfast. <laughs> brought Josh's breakfast. So we, this morning. Yeah, yeah, what service? <laughs> and that's FTW.com. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it is FTWSAAM.com. SAAM.com, yes, right. I wish we had a jingle. Yeah, but continue, yes. What what brought you to this point? What what created this interesting in you to get to where what you're doing now? Right. So um, we uh, I, I I was raised here in South Texas, and we had a family farm uh, out in Yokum, which is close to Shiner. If anybody's familiar with Shiner Bach, it was absolutely not too far from the brewery. And so uh, was out there, you know, um, quite a bit learning learning just how to to work off of the land. And we lived in San Antonio, and we had the farm, and we'd be back and forth. But I was—it was never lost on me that this is where your food came from. And I had two parents who loved to cook. Um, my my house growing up was a very unique environment because of the fact that we always our door was always open, even our house in San Antonio. 
And it was open in the sense that my mother would always have people over. I mean, it was just a, it, it was, it was, it was a, in, in the best way of explaining what a safe space is for anybody, it's more of a peaceful space for everybody, you know, <laughs> exactly. and the door was unlocked and there was always a hot meal. Every single time there was a hot meal for somebody and it was my dad cooking, my mom cooking. I was, I mean, I was cooking back then. My food wasn't great, but I was cooking because <laughs> I hadn't learned my lessons. You know, I, I hadn't, I hadn't actually walked through the, what, what it takes to, to actually learn how to cook. No one's just born with it. There, there isn't. No, just, it, no. It, it's a learned you thing, can. learned thing. Yeah. yeah. Just it's like, not, it's not innate. It's innate. I mean, it's within us to know that we need to eat and have something of course, to drink to of survive. But beyond that, there's not really. Exactly. And to take it a step further and make it, uh, make it what we would consider gourmet or to right. make it a cuisine. That is, that's, that's a whole other thing completely. But to take the time to cook for somebody else is one of the, uh, one of the best sacrificial things you can do for somebody. It's giving them sustenance. It's, it's actually giving them what they need. And then to take it a step further and, and make it delicious, that takes time. That takes know-how. And that was one thing that I personally needed to, uh, I personally needed to learn. Everybody needs to learn. And so to answer your question, what, what ended up happening was, is I started seeing the power of food pretty early. I started seeing how it could bring people together who didn't have a hot meal. Absolutely. And it wasn't, it, it, Larry, it wasn't the fact that they didn't have anything to eat. It right. was the fact that they didn't have home cooking. Yes. And this yes. is like, this is 25 years ago. And so what ended up happening was, is I, st I started to see how people would gravitate towards that type of uh that that type of experience and then pair that with the fact that my upbringing showed me where food actually came from what that the slaughtering of an animal fed more than just us you know and it was it it turned into something that was that that in, in my heart it was it was the basis and the foundation of the company that we built and so that's what we do. We focus on we focus on that experience, but we do it in a fun way where we're introducing we're introducing uh, experiences much like my mother did. But ours are set to just like having a having a good time, you know, having a, like laughing. We we do beer tastings, we do wine tastings, we do hands on sushi classes. It's hard to incorporate game into into those three, but that is that is an arm of what we do. But when it comes to the actual game cooking, that is where that that's where we love to shine because tied to the history and the anthropology of the way that we eat, this is, that's ground zero. That's like the point of entry. And I, and I think that that's missing with a lot of people who are learning how to cook. Why not start off to where your ancestors would sit there and go, hmm, that's it. That's, that's what you need to do. You need to learn how to, to harvest the animal yourself, learn how to grow a garden in the backyard and no better time than now, everything that's going on. I think it's a, I think it's a great option. I've said several times in the past that one thing that the COVID thing did is taught people that food doesn't come from the grocery store. It does not. It does not. And, and that is, um, such an elementary thought that we've lost. Yeah. Really, really. we really, we really have yeah. lost it. And, um, we've lost it in the sense that, um, it's convenience rules the day. It really, really does. And I always use this kind of, I use this phrasing all the time when I'm talking about it, but, um, you can order a pizza for 20 people right now. And because of COVID and because of convenience and because of everything else, you actually don't have to talk to another human being at all. Mm -mm. You yeah. don't have to interact with anybody. No. 
the most you all, most you have to do is put a note on there saying, "Hey, I want pepperoni on one side of these pizzas," <laughs> you know. And so right. we've we've crossed the line that's really hard to come back from. That now we're no longer considering that a human being is even in the process. And it sounds it sounds trivial, and you can you can get lost in the idea of it. But when it really does come down to it. I think that that's one more nail in the coffin of our food system. And um, that's horrible. My opinion, that's, that's, how do we come back from that? Because it's just, it's pure convenience. Because can you imagine two generations from now, they're going, what is it that they are going to look like? What is it that, how are they going to perceive their food system? Is, Is everything so automated? Everything is so taken out of the hands of human beings because... Everything needs to be the same. Everything needs to be clean. Everything needs to be safe. That we're now in a position where we no longer have humans making our food. Or we no longer have the perception that food comes at the hands of humans. Because just like we were talking about, we, we've, we've lost the idea that food comes from animals. It, like you said, like COVID comes along and we're like, oh, well. Where I go to get what I need to live no longer has what I have, what I need. So how do I, how, how do I get around that? You know, you, you're exactly right. But you've also, and, and yes, maybe is the right way to start this, is that you've seen a great increase in hunting license mm-hmm. and sales of fishing license. And during the time of the COVID, all the little lakes there anybody could get to. I mean, there were boats all over Everywhere. the place. People were fishing. Everywhere. And it wasn't out of boredom. No, it, wasn't. It, was, it was. It may have been a little bit of that, like I got to get out and I can do this out here where there's nobody real close. Mm-hmm. But by golly, there wasn't a whole lot of catch and release going on. There it really was, wasn't. It was very much the fact that my dear friend Jim Zumbo says it's catch and release. You catch and release and hot grease. Kind yeah, of thing exactly. For the food sort of thing. Yeah. Somebody that's not into such as you and I are. You grew up spending time in the country and all sure. of, how, how do you get this message across more and more all the time? Obviously you've got a task ahead of you and the fact of how are you going about it with, with these groups that we're dealing with. Of here. course. But how do you get the word out to the general public? Um, it's, it is doing events like this. It is doing, um, it's what, it, what it really comes down to is, is building something that, that has, has a, an attractiveness that, that gravitates people towards it. And we use that through entertainment. We use, use that through humor. And so, um, uh, to be honest, the crazy thing is, is I do very, very little media and advertising, very little. And, um, and it, it really pivots on the point that people are having such a good time that it's word of mouth. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It's word of mouth. Yeah. And, and, and our, we we really we really are in just in South Texas. I would I would love nothing more than to expand that and <laughs> right. get bigger. Who wouldn't? Um, and so what I what why I really do focus on is every single event. I I focus on what is my motive with that event. Right. How is it that I can? My motive isn't to be like, hey, maybe this is a stepping block to somebody else or something else. Right. But very much so, like, hey, this event. I'm dedicating everything I have to my client. And it will, it, it will pay off. It will pay off in the sense of not just the prosperity of my business, but really my motive is the prosperity of the goal. And the goal is to get everybody cooking again. The goal is to get everybody in love with knowing where their food comes from. Um, you don't have to, 
when you when you think about hunting, you don't have to be all about the culture of wearing camo every single day and listening to country music and doing all those things. That's not what it's about. Exactly. What it's about is being having honor with the animal, knowing that you're taking the life of the animal, so you want it to be as quick and painless as possible. And that's lost on a lot of people entering this lifestyle. And uh, because they can't, they can't get their mind wrapped around the premise of like, this is, this is something you're doing to believe it or not honor the species, honor the animal um, and just move that way. So when we talk in those ways, people, people gravitate towards it Mm -hmm. because it's something that they, just like you said, that uh, the the times are kind of doing the, the like what the, the time that we're in right now and what we're experiencing. Just like you said about the lakes, that right there is doing all the media for us because people are looking for answers and people are looking for something that makes sense to them. And it's 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 right there for the taking. It really is because this is old knowledge. This is the knowledge of our ancestors, of our parents, our grandparents. And all we're doing is putting it in a package that makes it enjoyable for them to, to kind of be a part of. So. We'll come back to something you said a little bit. Sure. To me, it's very important that we respect the animal. We respect the, the, uh, the habitat and mm-hmm. everything about it. How, how, how can we instill this into more people? Is there a way to do it through what you're doing in terms of the cooking side of things? I mean, you've, you've probably been to Europe. I've been to Europe. There's a great respect for the animal right. that's paid the animal when right. you take that animal's life. And right. that's, to me, is very important is that when you get right down to it, pretty much most life on Earth depends upon the death directly or indirectly of another organism. Yes, of course. But we need to be respectful. How, how do we get that word out to where it's not just a respect and just a word. Yeah. It's something that you feel inside yourself sure um that it's it, hopefully this, this is answer but it doesn't in my in my mind it doesn't really sound like it, it sounds like kind of a cop-out but it comes down to the individual because does, if, yes. if that character is not in the individual they don't deserve to be behind the gun they just don't because then i mean it's like how do you get how do you get uh people who break laws to to obey the law so why are you making more laws Right. Exactly. So it comes down to character. Yeah. And that person needs to that's that's something in here before they ever decide that they're going to do anything to take the life of another animal. They need to they need to search within themselves to see if they have what it takes to be responsible and not just to choke up and just panic and pull the trigger. Right. Right. Or to to just, you know, just be careless about it and just uh, work. Who cares where it lands or to be bloodthirsty. And that's the thing about about hunting is we need to change, we need to change that that misnomer that <clears throat> that uh, that's what hunting's about. It's just bloodthirsty guys out in the woods, it, the, and you know this with the with the with the groups that we have coming in here. I just got done talking to Tim about it, Tim Fallon, about these groups that are coming in that are bringing their kids. These gentlemen are bringing their kids uh, of all ages to come and walk through this this program here this new hunter program, because it's like, how can I, how can I get my kids to be a part of something that they see me go off and do and come back? I go to Alaska and go hunt and I bring back a, a, an elk and the kids kind of, you know, okay, that's what dad does. He's gone for, for a while and everything else, but how can I get them bought into this lifestyle? And, and how can I, how can I maybe bring back what is lost? And so I think that it does come down to character. It comes down to, um, you know, parents, like we just said, parents taking their time. And then uh, another part of it is just 
getting people to understand that you truly are honoring that animal. Um, and, and we, we only, we only have the absolute facts to point to in the sense that they're even since Christopher Columbus got here, the amount of deer is astronomically higher than it was when he stepped foot on, on without a doubt. Yeah. There's and, such, so much greater amount of food and yeah. habitat has changed and it's not a primordial forest where there's nothing on the ground and exactly. only stuff on top. Exactly. Know? And we have, and we have we have, uh, as, as responsible hunters, have had a huge part to play in that. And, and, I, and I think that that is, um, to, to really kind of circle back to your question, it really does come down to the individual being, being brought in from the hunting community as, hey, this is just the point of entry. This is before anything, not just the safety of the people you're in the deer blind with or your people you're tracking with or anything, the people you're even target practicing with it. That's that, that, that's the safety part, but the responsibility of doing, doing right by the animal and doing right by even the fish or a dove or whatever you're going after is it's really making it so that you're, you have the better care in mind of that animal up until the point, And even afterwards of, of harvesting it, of dispatching that animal. And that's, that's crucial. That really is crucial. And as a, and as a chef and as somebody who looks at the end result as, as something to eat, the protein's better. It just is an animal in distress. The protein does not, does not taste right. And, um, and that's, that, that, that really is that that's a big pivoting point for me. So, yeah, let's, let's go way back a little bit. Sure. In ancient cultures, do you think everybody was a hunter, or do you think there were people whose job it was basically mm -hmm. to be the primary hunter, whereas then the entire community benefited from that individual or that small group of people? Right. Um, so just like so, what we know is just like in um, in large communities like that, large large groups. Right. Um, you did have people who had different roles, and they were suited for they were suited for those roles. And so you had the warriors. Those were, you know, linebacker-looking guys, very proud, uh, uh, you know, tad bit fearless. Would would do whatever they needed to do in order to take care of that community. Um, the same with the farmers, and 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 a lot of roles played hand in hand. Right, right. Exactly. You were a warrior and a farmer, and yes. what have you. Uh, and so I think it it came down to the fact of uh, attributes, like we were talking about. It comes down to the individual level. So there were people in different, uh, and and this and this is what this is what makes it exciting for me is that you see this as as a human species across the map, across the globe. At times you were at, I mean, it, it was it's like at times at the same time that the Germans were fermenting, the Koreans were fermenting, and we were figuring this out together. No one was jumping on their iPhone and looking for recipes. And this was, that's, that's one of those things as humans that, that, that excites me because what it does is it gives us access to what it truly means to be human. It's because we figure things out and, and to answer your question, what it really comes down to is the fact that there were, there were these groups of communities all over the world and they, and one, one person just, you know, Gary, Gary's really good at tracking. He's amazing. Let's get Gary on. Okay, well, Gary has an apprentice. Okay, then there, and, and then you you have you have this point of like everybody starts learning off of each other. So there were groups of people who were just better in that, and it came down to what they were hunting, 
it came down to the area. Like, what is the terroir that they're hunting in? Like, are, are they are they suited for that? Do they are they are they good at climbing? Are they good at tracking? Um, what application are they using? Are they using a rifle? Are they using? I mean, you know, going far back, you know, obviously sticks, stones, <laughs> a sling, arrows, all those things, you know. So one thing that we one thing that gets lost on us as modern hunters is the amount of time because we can spend half a morning or you know even a whole morning or half a day really you know here in Texas sitting in a deer blind spending all that time to to harvest one animal bring it back and it's lost on us that <laughs> our ancestors would sit there and track all day long because they bringing bringing one deer home or bringing a boar home would would not go very far and so what what they needed to do was focus on okay we need to get the more bang for our buck where that's concerned and just take your time going back again to some of that sure in, in a, but in a little bit different way yeah where do you when did people start using spices i mean because we could still be at the time where yeah. all you eat, you eat it raw, you sure. ate it cooked over a fire, yeah. you know, maybe boiled in water. But at what point do you think the spices came in? And uh, you use spices, right? I do. Oh, I yeah. know you oh, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and a yeah. variety of herbs and all yeah. those other kind of things. How, how do you think that happened? Did somebody just think, well, let's see what, throw this in there right. and see what happens? Right. Well, there's, a, if you look at the globe and you look at a map, and uh, there's these hot spots of different areas where they where they know how to use spices. Exactly right. If you if I was being honest, and this is a PSA for everybody, yeah. is um, Americans. It's lost on Americans on how to use spices. We don't we don't because because this is one thing I was talking to somebody about yesterday is that if you if you go to to any American cupboard, okay, let me take that let me take that back. If you were to go to ninety percent of the American cupboards around the, uh, around our country, you'd walk in and you'd see a bunch of spices. Yes. With red little tops on. Yes. Them, right. Yes. And, uh, most of them expired. Yes. For ingredients and, um, and spices that some of them we can't even pronounce because right. we just look at it and we go, okay, well, I, I don't even know mar margarine, margarine. <laughs> what is that? And so what ends up happening is, is we, we come across a recipe on Pinterest, right? And we decide that we're going to follow this recipe because it has all these likes and it looks great. The optics of it look amazing. Yeah, right. this is great. Right. It looks like an easy to follow recipe. So we spend an hour, we spend 30 minutes gathering the ingredients for buying spices that we're only going to use once to spend another hour cooking and being so terrified if you don't cook that you're going to screw this up. And then spend 30 minutes eating at a table where your kids are looking at their phone the whole time. So you net, you didn't get, you didn't get that net return no, no. on you cooking and spending all this time to spend another hour afterwards cleaning without any help. So no wonder Americans don't, don't cook anymore because there's no equity in that experience. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And so as far as spices, it kind of ties into that because we don't know how to use spices. And my PSA is this. You need to learn how to use spices. If you're not roasting and you're not actually bringing out the flavor out of the spices, all you're doing is just you're just going through the motions. You're just going through the motions, yeah. and you're missing out on it. Like if you're going to sit there and go, "Oh, the smoked paprika," I kind of, I kind of get the flavor of it. Yeah. You know, okay, whatever. But if you do it, if you roast it properly in the pan, and those little pockets of of, of communities around the globe that I, I spoke of, 
India. If you know anything yes. about Indian cuisine, you know about spices, yes. right? They know how to do it. Moroccan, they know how to do it. And so what it comes back to is what, how, how, did we, how did we come across that? So a lot of our food lineage came from mistakes. It really did. Because if you can imagine like uh, early humans walking up on a forest fire and seeing a bunch of animals just laying there deceased and right. they walked up and they said, well, we usually eat this, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, because this is, we, we observed other animals eating it this way. So we ate it this way. I right. mean, we're talking really early right. Homo sapien and we walk up on it and now this tastes so much better, you know? And, um, how, how does it taste better? Well, I don't understand the, the, the alchemy and the chemistry of it all. Right. I just know that now it tastes better. And so how spices probably, how spices in my, and in, in what I've seen and what I've, I've studied is spices came to be by watching other animals either use it, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, they're, they're, they're watching a squirrel with a spice grinder, put, you know, things together. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that they, they, they looked at things and they realized one, is it edible and will it, what will it cause me harm? Right. And, um, and two, uh, does it impart flavor? And then after that, it's just the understanding of cooking because cooking is just bringing heat to food, right. you know? And, uh, and then, and then realizing how, how, how does it taste different? And if it does taste different, you know, is it a better taste? Do I like that? Yes. And so that's the great thing is that there, there are all these regional cuisines that focus themselves on that, on, on that premise of, of really understanding how to use spices um, and salt not being really, not being a spice, no, 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 right. but, um, there were, there, there were groups of Spaniards and, and, and French, uh, farmers that what they would do is they would t take a cut of meat and put it underneath the saddle of their horse. And as they would ride, they would tenderize that, that really firm piece of meat. Right. And the sweat from the horse would salt and season the actual, the actual protein. And so that was something like that. That was that right there is an ingenious way of adding. I mean, if it tastes like the rear end of a horse, but well, yeah, but still, but, but it it's had, still, yeah. Can yeah. you imagine that? <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it, as yeah. if you're sitting there just eating a normal steak, and then somebody brings this, you know, this this other this large cut of meat, and it's just it's it's been tenderized, it's been ridden on all day, and it has it has something else to it, and so. We, um, it took a long time to get to where we are. And again, that's lost on us, you know? So, yeah, I think, I, I think that that's really, hopefully that answers your question, but it, it but does, it does. But to me, the, watching the evolution, I mean, as we're talking about, we're talking about salt animals as a whole, I don't care whether it's mm -hmm. a deer, whether it's an antelope, whether it's a bear or whatever. I mean, if there's a natural salt lick somewhere mm -hmm. and then salt is a very natural element or a combination of elements. I mean, they're going to come to that. They are. And there's a, something innate within us, I think, that causes us to know that we need a fair amount of salt. There is. And so um, one thing that we teach at gastronomy is, um, do so dopamine it, um, obviously tells us when, when something's good, right? right. And, it's, and, and we, we have those receptors to, to allow us to know when we're in a good place. And, and I think talking about early humans, it really does come from a position of being like, okay, I need to be more, I need to be around more of this because it's my survival. And 
now as current day humans, all we have is dopamine going off constantly. We're constantly looking for that, right? And so when you're talking about food, you're talking about sodium, you're talking about sweets, you're talking about fats, fat being a big one, right? Yes, sir. And as Americans, we're just completely lost on what fat is. We're being now told fat's great. When if you were alive during the 80s, you were told the entire time, <laughs> stay away from fat. Yeah. But sugar's fine. Oh, sugar's perfectly fine, right? Yeah. And so, um, and it's just really messed up that that's where we're at, you know? And so when those things, uh, when those things come together and anybody listening to this podcast um, <clears throat> can think about what is their favorite. If I said, hey, what's your favorite food? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you whatever you want. You have to tell me what it is right now. I guarantee you it has a corresponding lines of fat, it has corresponding lines of sweetness, and sodium, sugar. And right. not just sodium chloride in the sense <clears throat> right, of just right, salt, right, but just right. sodium. What is it like those, those, when those three intersect, it's, it, the fireworks go off in your brain. And so why would you not, why would you not go looking for that all the time? And that's really what you would want. You would want to go looking for that all the time. And so as humans, we've made it so convenient to get that anywhere we want, as much as we want. And so there's no adversity in there trying to finally find that. It's just naturally, it naturally shows up at our doorstep now. And you have all these companies that will just deliver your food and you get, you get, you get your fat, your sugar and your sodium. No wonder. I mean, sadly there's 10 year olds with type two onset diabetes and, right, right. and that's where we are right now. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, as, as it relates to salt, it's one other thing. We don't stop to think about how, like whatever, what process it took, not just in harvesting salt and then getting it to my little salt shaker that sits on my table. The fact that this has a history, this has a story and this took a really long time to get to where it is right now. And we're just doing this on top of fries and not even thinking about it. And you can get lost in the romantic, you know, idea of every single food. And I think for a little bit, everybody should, because it, it, it connects them to where this comes from. And, and then they can go about their way, but investigate it, like figure out you know, where did salt come from? When did we first start using salt? When, how did we first start using spices? You know, what does it take to take another animal's life and feed myself? And those are important questions to ask yourself, you know? So, yeah, I think that's... As you were talking about that combination, one of the things that came to mind was pemmican. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah. you've got that combination of, of everything. Yeah. That maybe not be the best tasted in the world. Some of it that I've tasted yeah. was edible. But, yeah. And then others of it was absolutely delicious. But it did fulfill the, all those categories. It does. It does. And and that's where, that's where um, we love to teach the... The idea that the that the best cuisines in the world, the cuisine not not best 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 is relative. Right. Um, right. The most enjoyed <clears throat> cuisines in the world come from the most humble of circumstances. And, True. And uh, True. and what we mean by that is that around the world, if you think of comfort food, you're not thinking of you know five star cuisine that has you know that that it's. It's, you know, three little bites and you just paid $90 <laughs> yes. and you're like, is this first date worth it that I'm spending this much on, <laughs> on, you know, she better eat all three bites. But, um, it really, it really does come from the point of it, it, it takes equity to put into food and these humble areas of the world that don't have much, 
not eating high on the hog. We forget what that means. Everybody hears that, hears that term high on the hog. Well, the fact is, is that you have ligaments, you have connective tissues, and you have to use time. Time is a very important quality. It takes less time to cook a tenderloin that's the top of an animal than it does. And we're not talking about T-Y-M-E. No, 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 we're not. Or maybe, if you or want. Well, oh, yeah, maybe. You could, <laughs> you could, yeah. Being a part of that. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but really, it's it's the fact that um, there, were, there were people who were living in very modest, uh, very low-income areas of the world. Absolutely, yes. And we, we look at it going, well, why does... Why does barbecue taste so good? Well, barbecue is a humble cuisine, and it takes time. And yes, and yes. why does soul food taste so good? Well, because they know how to braise. And why is it that way? It's because they're everybody, and this is cool because it circles back to what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. It circles back to everybody had a role in the community. Yes. Everybody wasn't sitting on their couch looking at their phones. Every Seriously. Seriously, seriously, big time, yeah, seriously. big time. Yes. Um, and everybody had their roles, and people became very proficient at their roles. And so, what ended up happening was you had people who were just really good at cooking, and they just they it, it's that character thing. They they had a knack for it, and they took their time, and they knew that they were feeding their community, and they did so with care. And braising a large piece of meat. A large rump of something does not happen quickly. Yeah. You're not, and and you don't you don't find many, many recipes these days talking about that because everything needs to be quick. Oh yeah, put Absolutely. it in a, put it in an instapot. That's the quickest you're going to get Spot it. Or microwave or, or whatever. anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, <clears throat> just look. you're right. It's, uh, we need to get something to eat, but everything else is. Didn't matter. Right, right. And <laughs> in how it tastes, you know, as long exactly. as it's edible, that's basically yeah. what it's come to. Like yeah, that. and and I think that taking taking a look at these humble cuisines, these very modest cuisines from all over the world, when you really, really think about it, the ones that everybody goes, and I, and I ask the question again, what's your favorite thing to eat? I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if not that, but something very similar of it came from something that was a... Uh, that was a high, high fat, a good amount of fat, good amount of sodium, and maybe a little bit of sweetness. Those were all coming from humble cuisines because of the fact that even in modern history now, we know that it, it takes a, um, it really, it really does take a lot of, um, it takes a, a lot of energy in order to work on a farm. It takes a lot. And I know that it takes a lot of energy to, to put forth, put, put forth the effort to actually do a job that requires you being outside, working with your hands, and putting off that energy all day long. And so with modern, um, with modern humans, we've lost that. And what a lot of families have done is they've come from the farm still eating those high-calorie diets. That's why we see a lot uh, of you're right. rural. You're, exactly. Yeah. You see a lot of rural families or families that are maybe second generation rural, like, oh well, we just moved from the farm. Well right. there's probably a high probability that there's that, that everybody is is overweight. And the reason being is that we spent so much time eating high calories. I mean eating like two thousand calories for breakfast. Exactly. To to work that off and be perfectly fine and healthy. To go, we we didn't have vitamin D deficiencies. We didn't have all the problems. We didn't have type two diabetes. But we moved to the cities, and then what we end up seeing is we see that there is a that there is no longer a need for that high calorie diet. But 
we we it's already embedded into our into what it means to be a modern human is to eat those high calories so we start looking for it and then you like we keep talking about then you have convenience that is more than happy to give it to you anytime you need it so now everybody just walks around being overweight and working at jobs that doesn't fulfill their purpose they don't go out and hunt and all these things are just they're, they're just lost on the modern human so it's it's something good to look back and say what was it about two generations ago that just made those people that they, they weren't happy in per se because they had their own hardships they were going through world wars they were going through depressions but they 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 were wholesome there was something about that well it was because they had a purpose they knew where their food came from right they stay stayed with community everybody had a role to play you know and um and they never took food for granted they never took the process of anything for granted they never just kind of were just like oh, okay well oh okay great i'm just going to flip through my phone and find just random stuff to entertain myself they were out they were out getting it done yeah and that yeah. knowledge is lost and that's that's as scary as hell it really is it, it really is we've just been joined by brett Voorhees with taurus and uh we're talking about food, Brett. Yeah. I love food. You love food. Who doesn't? I mean, has anybody ever <laughs> has anybody ever met somebody that said, you know, I'm just not, I just don't like to eat. Of course, one of the things that's fantastic about Josh, we're, we're talking, where we're headed with this in the future, we're going to do a bunch of these in yeah. the future. Yeah. We've covered a lot of ground already. We have, this yeah. I have a lot of and, rabbit trails. And we've, <laughs> well, I do too. But to me, I've always been one of those that you start with the basics. You build a good foundation and then you, you start do. building up. Yeah. And since you're with Taurus, I can tell you that years ago I shot a lot of Taurus yeah. pistols kind of thing. Yeah. And Taurus has done that. I mean, they really have. They build a really sound foundation. Oh, they and now do. you you produce most of your guns in Georgia, right? Yeah. Well, about half of them. About half so, of them. Yeah, we've grown our facility in the U.S. Moved to a new facility, actually. Mm -hmm. um, grown our workforce and and. Now we're bringing more and more product lines, and basically all the future products that we bring out, the the goal is to build them in in the U.S. And right. Focus on the U.S. market, but you know we have we have people here that can drive that, so it's exciting for our for our company. I love it. I do too. Did you grow up in the country or in 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 the city? I grew up outside of. Portland, Oregon, but I've tried to get to the eastern part of the state as often as I could. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> understandable. Chasing right. mule deer and elk. And, that sounds and about right. That. Well, there's there's some good there's a serendipitous kind of quality to this because uh, obviously my dad teaching me how to hunt and teaching also me how to defend myself and all the things that father right. had to do. Uh, he carried around a Taurus nine millimeter. Oh, fantastic. and and it's it's our it's our home defense. It's one of our uh -huh, sorry, one of our home defense. Yeah. But uh, I mean that that thing I can't I. I mean, even even seeing the logo of a Taurus just brings back memories of my dad. And after after he passed, that was one thing that I really and this anybody hearing this this wasn't this wasn't planned. No, I just walked in. He just walked in. Just walked in. But, but it really it really is something that I um, I was happy to see you guys were a part of this 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 uh, new hunter experience. But it really is something that I have I have so much honor and so much uh, respect for my father and what he's done. Yeah. and uh teaching everything he taught um he was a john wayne kind of guy you know if you ever met if you ever met dan Schwenka, you would be like oh yeah he was he was an interesting fellow <laughs> but um but he he always he always had that taurus with him you know and, and he was uh and when he passed out at the farm 
um, we went out there the day he passed and I, I, you know, I was just going through his effects that he had in his truck and just right underneath, right underneath the seat. I mean, it was out on the farm, but he always kept yeah, it. But that's where, pit. that was where it was. Yeah, it that's was where it was. Handy. It was always right there and just kind of sitting there and reminiscing and kind of getting over the shock of losing my father. Mm. Looking down and seeing, seeing the butt of that gun was something that was, uh, was a, a gay bar? <laughs> Doug. That was Doug, everybody. If that breaks the tension of me getting all sappy about my, my dad's pistol, that was it. Welcome to the ranch, everybody. But yeah, but it's, um, but I, I think that that's a good story. Yeah. To t- I mean, not just my story, but that's a good uh, conversation to have that, um, you know, these, these are more than just something, these aren't killing devices and these aren't just, uh, exactly. just a tool, Yeah. but it is something that has a lot of heritage to it. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I, every time I clean that gun, every time I take it out to a range or something like that, I'm, I'm reminiscing with every time I've done it with my father. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, it's just so, it's such a cool thing to be a part of. So, yeah. yeah. That, and for me, it's, I have a young three-year-old boy that I'm just itching to introduce these things yeah. to, you know, so I'm at the, the other end of that spectrum. Sure. Where, you know, just getting started doing that and hopefully, uh, hopefully in the near future when he's ready and big enough, we can come out and go hunting and yeah. I can show him how to use a, a pistol properly and, yeah. and why, why I carry a pistol. And, yeah. You know, because that stuff is, I mean, that's why I'm in the, the job that, that I'm in, because mm-hmm. that's what I'm so passionate about and what I, what I do. Um, so, you know, that's, that's important to me to, to pass that on to him at some point. And so, yeah, I really appreciate your story. You, you mentioned the hunting part. Okay. Yeah. Elk, mule deer? Elk and mule deer primarily, yeah. Which of those two is your favorite one to eat? Elk. Elk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? But, uh, because I was more successful with mule deer and <laughs> it had more opportunity, but um, but no, actually the the ranch that I grew up hunting mule deer on was uh, we produced some very healthy animals mm-hmm. that were very tasty. Um, but I I wasn't guaranteed to get one every year, but I pretty much was successful every every year, every every other year, whatever. Um, but chasing elk with a bow. In Oregon, the seasons are kind of screwy, mm-hmm. but if you chase them with a bow, you have a much longer season right. during the rut. So, right. so I started ar- archery hunting elk then, um, and that was humbling, but uh, also very fun and, and challenging. So. And, I, and I think that there's something important there because of the sense that a lot of missing ingredients is, is once you start once you start understanding what it means to actually cook for yourself, mm-hmm. and you start looking at okay, I, there's there, there's something else here, and that's equity. It's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's what you put into it yeah. because what you're eating has a story and it's not wrapped in cellophane and styrofoam. You oh, just yeah. get at the store. Yeah. It means a whole lot more. It really does. It really does. And eating a ribeye you bought at the store. Yeah, it really does. And to sit there and have a dinner and have people over and be like, well, I have a story behind this, you know? And it's the difference between, oh, some people might like mule deer more than elk, but you, but you like it not only because it tastes better. But because of the fact that it actually there's there was adversity and hardship mm-hmm. attached to it, mm-hmm. and that right there is an important lesson to learn is to sit there and go, you know what this has this has that missing ingredient it really does, and that was the story that was you know man 
this this one this I, I tracked this one for forever. Mm-hmm. When I finally got it, it was just like and yeah. anybody who's ever drawn on an animal or pulled pull, pulled back on a bow or anything or shot, they know what that feels like to have that adrenaline pump through and be like, oh, and then it subsides and you sometimes it's like when it when it's a large enough I, I I'm on the verge of tears yeah. because it is such a beautiful experience. It is. Know? Yeah, it really it is. It comes back to some of that respect. It does. We talked about a little bit earlier today is the respect for the animal, mm-hmm. respect for the habitat, respect for fellow hunters, mm-hmm. and respect for yourself and your family as well, too. It does. And it's something something I, I want to, that I'm seeing more of that I really appreciate is less of the kind of the gripping grins. I don't mind those. Yeah. Gripping grin pictures. Of them holding holding the animal right. up and everything because that it gives a good profile. It shows the animal's healthy, all those things, and and it's a point of pride, you know. Um, and th- what I really love seeing now is that there's there's these honor the hunt kind of um, this honor the hunt kind of push. And what you're rather than seeing a grip and grin, you see the hunter with their hand down, almost like praying over the animal. Exactly, and, and that, that right there happens a lot. It I does. Mean, every I every animal I take, I, I I say I give I give a thanks to I it, and it's just a walk up and just kind have. of just kind of pet the animal. And it sounds weird to people who are outside of that lifestyle. Yeah. Well, they've never done it. They've so, never done yeah. it, so it's lost on them. But yeah. to sit there and kind of pet the animal and just admire it and look at it and you know in a way you don't even have to say it out loud yeah if you don't pray you don't have to pray you can just just as easily sit there and go thank you like thank you because you're gonna you're you're gonna feed me you're going to give me what i need to survive and you gave your life for that Mm -hmm. and that's important and that's that's the character part we were talking about yes every hunter needs that so yeah mule deer elk being a chef Mm -hmm. And I want to, we're going to come back numerous times, like I said, because oh, we're sure, just yeah. touching, so we're just <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit of basics. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, as far as, from your perspective, as somebody who prepares a lot of game, Right. what determines what that animal tastes like mm-hmm. in terms of, particularly maybe of what they're eating? Of course. Well, I mean, so I use the example of like a blueberry bear. Yes. Yeah. So everybody knows the story of blueberry bears, like... Uh, during that season, especially in the spring, when they're when they're really eating a lot of blueberries, their 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 meat is blue, and it mm-hmm. tastes like and you know about Oregon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, their 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 meat is, and then when they start eating salmon, rotten salmon, you can't you can't eat their protein. There's no way it's 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 no, it's not very tasty. I tried it. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it is tasty, but <clears throat> so it matter. So again, it comes back to responsibility and the understanding of a hunter to know. Okay. What about the terroir is is going to lend itself to the flavors? So, what is the animal eating? Um, and and that's where a lot of non hunters or people who kind of give the uh, the bad connotations to hunters don't understand that there. It's not just a matter of like we've said, you know, pulling the trigger on an animal. It is the matter of saying, okay, what? How can I respect this animal by not only using as much of it as humanly possible? Um, but by also knowing, okay, how is it going to benefit me as the, as the person consuming the animal, the best way I know how. So looking at mule deer, looking at elk and knowing what the terroir is made up of and what are they, what are they eating? Are they in farmer's fields eating a bunch of pesticides, which does happen? Or Mm -hmm. is it uh, a matter of, I know, I know this area, I know the, the, where, where I've been tracking this elk for the longest time has has a good amount of you know the, just certain 
certain nuts or certain berries or whatever the case is, if they're if the majority of their diet is that, because they're looking for salt and sweetness, just like we were, just talking. like we are, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when they when they start finding that, it lends itself to it to to the taste of the protein, and that's uh, that's an important thing to take in consideration. Is going okay? Well, where 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 are they where are they getting their sustenance? Mm-hmm. So when I hunt them, I I know you know what to do and so in a, in a case like a carnivore and uh we were talking yesterday about eating bobcats and stuff oh, like yeah. that yeah is knowing okay are they are they really eating a lot of rotten rot, rotten protein because that will show up oh yeah and and those those undesirable flavors come in through the uh, bone marrow and come in through the fat and that's where the gaminess comes from. So anybody who doesn't like and you, you guys know this but anybody who doesn't like gamey cuisine and that's really what people think of when they think of cook, yes. uh, game cooking is they go, oh, I still, I still like the gaminess. It really does come down to the fact of that's it's 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 the fat. So if you can, you know, trim the fat, and a lot of game doesn't have a lot of fat. Right. And trim the fat, then you're you're kind of uh, not not hundred percent, but you're you're taking out a good amount of that. So whatever they're eating will show up more in the fat than it will the protein. So hopefully that helps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the things, uh, I mean, I I grew up hunting from the time that I was a little kid. Sure. Uh, we, I've eaten all kinds of weird stuff. In Africa, they used to hunt with Fred Burchell and all the collectors who were for the museums for in Europe would yeah. fly down to Namibia and hunt with Fred. So they had permission to shoot everything that walked, crawled, yeah. flew. <laughs> and we would try some of it. I mean, sure. some of it was really good and some of it was not really good. And yeah. then years ago, you mentioned Bobcat thing. My father-in-law, when he was alive, he and I got on this kick. We ate everything that we could. I yeah. mean, every bird yeah. that, this is years ago, enough now, so I can say, we back then you were allowed to shoot raptors. You know, so we yeah. shot some hawks and owls. We tried that. Yeah. Uh, tried coyote, you know, and mm-hmm. bobcat to me is really good, but mm-hmm. coyote is, fox is not bad. Yeah. But coyote's not something I really want to eat again, kind yeah. of thing. So, but, it, but where I was going with all that, in the last several years, I think it's partly because of my having a better understanding how to prepare some of these foods, mm-hmm. uh, but also in terms of the management that we've done on a lot of these species where there is a great variety of things to eat out there. We've really improved the habitat. We have. It seems to me like particularly with elk, deer, and uh, particularly deer, uh, God, the venison is so much better now than it was a few years ago. It really is. And it I really think is. it's part of the, you know, the fact that, yes, we are providing a, a greater variety of food for them and mm-hmm. not, you know, they don't have to eat cysts where they're acorns on acorns and maybe yeah. mm-hmm. bitter sneeze weed or whatever else they're eating. Of course, yeah. yeah. Kind of thing. So I think that's, that's kind of played into it a little bit. It really has. And it's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of people like to think that things are getting so much worse for our ecology and everything else. But in a lot of ways, they're, they're, they're becoming, it's leveling out. And that's through proper management. That's through proper, um, you know, obviously proper resources getting put in the right directions and knowing that, you know, hunters are, I mean, this is something that some, some groups might roll their eyes at, but the fact of the matter is that hunters are, are the conservationists. They're the only true conservationists. Yeah. And so, and that's, and we only, we only have absolute history and fact to point to, like we were talking about the deer and Christopher Columbus. I mean, that's, that's, that, that is a. That is a uh, a firm example of of what it what it means to be the top of our food chain, 
and to really take that time to understand it, take that time to put it into practice and be like, Hey, you know what? Again, character, it's about character. How, how do you, how do you harvest the animal the best way that you know how and giving it honor and this and that looking at the terroir, like we were talking about, um, bringing in, bringing in everything, bringing in your kids to the situation so that you're passing on that knowledge. And overall, it's just on top of that, it's fun. I mean, who's not having a good time here? Yeah. Really? Who's not having a good time here? And and it's not all about bang, bang, we're going to go out and shoot guns. But it really is. It, it's it's about slowing down and saying this is, this is a lifestyle. And now we have all the resources. We have everything we need to make it as efficient as possible. We really do. So. Tell you what, that is a good stopping point yeah. right now <laughs> to where we can, now we've got our base built. Yeah, of course. Tell us how to get in touch with uh, Taurus. Uh, well, we have we have three separate websites for our uh, three brands that we that we own: TaurusUSA.com, mm-hmm. HeritageManufacturing.com, Manufacturing is MFG, and then RossiUSA.com. So, you know, all different product lines that we that we offer, and um, you know, there's contact us and all the information on those websites, social media, of course. Uh, same same names on Facebook, Instagram, those type of things. Very cool. Fantastic. Josh, best way to contact you and your website. Yeah, so we're at gastronomycompany.com, uh, and then you can type in Gastronomy Live Events, which is the name of the company. Uh, and uh, we're on we're on most of the social platforms. And, um, yeah, it just showcases what we do. We do a lot of work in, in local schools, teaching kids uh, where their food comes from. Perfect. And food history, food science. We even do. A, we even manipulate their sense of taste through sound waves through a to, through a food experiment. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a lot. Of, we'll talk about that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. This, this is just the first of many. Of course, yeah. But it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's where along along the lines of teaching people what to do with their harvest, especially with hunting. Um, that's that's where our passion lies. Is just getting. Getting kids to be, if you get them hooked on, like, you entertain them, you get them to laugh, you get them to not take themselves so serious, and then you bring in food, they go, oh, you know. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. I always use the terminology that you never see anybody working at, like, a uh, Maserati or a Mercedes or, or, you know, BMW factory, and then they go outside and they get in their Ford Festiva and they go home. You know? you. What I mean by that is people who are, understand quality they participate in quality. Yeah, exactly. And so if you can get if you can get kids at a young age to to be, I don't, I don't want a bunch of foodies, but I want I want people who understand good cooking. What is good food? What does it mean to hunt? What does it mean to harvest your own vegetables? All those things. Then you will see a natural change in the market because people are going to be like, I'm tired of eating crap. I'm tired of feeling like this. I don't want type two diabetes. I'm 14 years old. Mm. You know. So what do they do? And that's that's kind of you know that's my little sales pitch for what we do. But yeah, that's, <laughs> I love hope, your sales pitch. Ho- hopefully that hopefully that helps. So it will. I, well, I thank you very much, both both you, Brett and Josh, yeah. being with here around the DSC campfire this this day. Yeah. And I got a feeling we'll be back around this campfire again before too very long. Both here on the podcast, but probably around the real campfire a little bit later this afternoon as That'd well be great. too. Thank y'all for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you right back here next week. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Wysoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. (laughs) 
DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today, TRHP Outdoors, Kenetrek Boots for the trails less traveled, Boyt, the finest in hunting gear, Pyramid Air for all things air gun, and Ripcord, rescue travel protection.